they're they're into learning how to find a sustainable way to perform better in their body and reach their potential that shifts every stage of life. The heart of it is this. What are you trying to accomplish? It's like about what Bowerman asked Kenny. What are you trying to accomplish? Are you getting there? So here's a coach who invented uh, the Nike shoe. And here was a guy who had coached world record holders, had national championships, Olympians. And he was the guy who taught all of us that going all out was unproductive. And he was always looking to change. He was always looking like, how do I get better? How can I learn from people? Be adaptable, be fluid. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, keep it right here listening to the OPP or visit naturalstacks.com. Brian Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. I am so excited to share today's episode and conversation with you. I don't know how this happens. Actually, I know exactly how this one happened. Sean McCormick, thank you for uh, connecting me to today's guest. Peter Smock is a former Olympic athlete himself, competed in the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal, uh, was going to compete in the 1980 Olympics in Moscow, but they were uh, that was part of the Olympic boycott. That whole Olympic team got the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, that was back in the Cold War. Um, so yeah, that makes Peter a little older than our average guest. He is 67. He has written a book called The Way of the Life Athlete, and that's a lot of what we talk about today, you know, sort of how we do what we want to do at the highest level, but not only doing it for a short period of time, but to do it in a sustainable way, do it for a long time. Peter has been incredibly fortunate through his career to share his life with some amazing people. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Peter, uh, like I said, he's a two-time Olympic track and field athlete, 76 and 80. He was the director of strength and conditioning for the Seattle Mariners from 1983 to 1994. That means he got to work with people like Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez. You're going to hear some stories about Edgar Martinez and, and Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, in this show. He was a conditioning coach for the Pacific Northwest Ballet. He was, uh, he is a member of the University of Oregon's Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, that's where he went to college. He was on the track team at the University of Oregon. One of his teammates was a guy by the name of Steve Prefontaine. If you're a runner, if you followed Nike history, you know exactly who Steve Prefontaine is. You also know that that means Bill Bowerman was his coach at the University of Oregon. 
Um, if you're not familiar with Nike and that story, definitely check out Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog. It's an amazing story. Phil Knight was uh, a track guy at Oregon, coached by the same man, Bill Bowerman, one of uh, our guests, Peter's early mentors. So Peter talks a lot in this episode about being mentored by Bowerman, what he learned from Bowerman, uh, how some of that was counterintuitive then and, and is, is even today still counterintuitive, uh, but it certainly applies to uh, being successful then, now, at any stage of our life, throughout our whole life. Uh, Peter is um, founder of one of the top fitness centers in the Pacific Northwest. He's a lifelong surfer. He's just an amazing guy. Um, like I said, really fortunate to be able to share conversations like this, um, you know, in my life with you guys and appreciate you guys helping set this up. This is all from one of our listeners, Sean McCormick. So Sean, thank you for, for helping set that up. Speaking of, uh, listeners and thanking you guys, if you leave us a review on iTunes, we will read it on the show. I'm going to read one to you now from DJ fresh in New Jersey. Um, five stars wrestling after wrestling I fully recommend listening to this great pod. Ryan shares great information, stories, and has terrific guests. As I continue to strive and excel in my daily life and build a strong family, hearing input like this is highly beneficial. I want to thank the OPP and look forward to hearing every single pod that is put out. The supplements they mentioned intrigue me, and I hope to follow up with positive results from them as well. So, DJ Fresh, email me, Ryan at Natural Stacks. We'll hook you up with a little care package uh, so you can try out some of those supplements. Again, guys, naturalstacks.com is where you can find the blog post for this episode. We'll have links to uh, all the places where you can run down Peter if you want more of him. Uh, and, of course, some of the, the people and, and resources that he mentioned will have links there. Uh, Peter's book, The Way of the Life Athlete, we are going to give away a copy for one lucky listener. All you have to do to be entered to win is share this episode of the OPP on social media. Make sure you tag at natural stacks, tag me at Ryan Muncy. So that we know we, uh, we know you shared it and we can choose you as a potential winner. Guys, enjoy this episode. Uh, and as always, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of the OPP family. Your support is, um, it means the world to us. So thank you. Rock on. I call them life athletes. I mean, they're, they're into learning how to find a sustainable way to perform better in their body and reach their potential that shifts every stage of life. So we're all changing since birth. So how do we, uh, how do we attend to those changes in terms of our mental beliefs about ourselves and what we can and can't do and also physically how do we monitor that and how do we make it sustainable so most of my clients have been with me a long time and and they're life athletes they want to they want to be healthy they're not going down easy uh, mm -hmm. they want to learn how to you know be nimble and be coordinated the strength the mobility uh, and and be quiet of mind at the same time so most of our listeners are going to be probably younger than 50, but I think one of the things that separates our listeners from a lot of people in their age bracket is that, you know, they're looking at their own life through a lens of how do I do this thing longer and better uh, and with more sustainability. So what sort of discoveries or aha moments have you had through your career that can lead to being able to do this at a really high level for a really long time? 
Well, those are really good questions. And, and the, the heart of it is this, is that the methodology that I evolved through or into during my pre-Olympic years is the, the formation of a method and a path that everybody can use at any stage of their life. So what I used, uh, and I'm teaching my life athlete, you know, 50-year-old baby boomers and teenagers, is exactly what I developed as an Olympian at the age of, you know, 24, 25, 26, up to 30. So to answer your question, first of all, there are pivotal moments that I address uh, in my book, The Way of the Life Athlete. And they really are kind of the pinnacles of discovery or teachings from certain mentors. And the, the first one I'll mention, he's not chronologically the first. I'm going to just do some. So this, this shoe <laughs> is, is Nike. So you can't see it. Nike. Okay. I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing this mentor up because I wanted to ask about him, but <laughs> I was kind of hesitant to bring him up because I wasn't sure if you'd want to go there. So I'm really glad you're going yeah. there. No, 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 absolutely. He was, he was instrumental. So here's a coach who invented uh, the Nike shoe. Uh, we're, talking, his, we're talking about Bill Bowerman. Bill Bowerman, exactly, Bill Bowerman. Probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest, track and field coaches of all time. One of his students was uh, Phil Knight, who co-founded Nike with him, Bill. And uh, the good news is that Phil Knight and I shared uh, the, uh, our coach at different eras. He was a little bit older than me. And we shared Bill Bowerman. I had the luck of having Bill in the last four years of his career. <laughs> I came in in 68. I left in 72. His last year was 72. So, I mean, talk okay. about, like, they couldn't have perfect been timing perfect timing yeah and here was a guy who had coached world record holders i don't know how many but it's endless right had national championships that he had won over 26 years as being a head coach um olympians who had gone on to compete um for the u.s and other countries i suppose and he was the guy who taught all of us that going all out was unproductive. So he was, is counter-revolutionary today, actually, in his philosophy, as he was back then. Because you've got a bunch of, you know, 20-something high-testosterone male athletes that go, all I want to do is more. I can, I can push, you know, you, you've gotten to this level to be able to, to make it to the University of Oregon track team. And now, and so you know how to push, you know, all about grit, you can drive every single freaking day. There's not a problem with that. But that's not the secret. And that's that is was his secret to getting us more so the runners because they had a tendency to overtrain more than shot putters did. Um, but that was the that was the message that was sprinkled down over all of us, and it was very much what life athlete is today because he you know he is really part of the lineage, if you will, of what I have also created, which is a less is more uh, philosophy. So we would have days where we would train where they would be easy days, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what a fucking waste of time. Easy day? Right. Why would anybody have an easy day? Right. You know? And then we have medium days and then we have hard days, but the hard days were never all out. Hmm. So this was a big shift for a lot of athletes who had to kind of trust the process that this dude knew what he was talking about. Right. So, I mean, I think a lot of people have this kind of connotation in their head when you think about Oregon track back in those days, you think about Steve Prefontaine and, you know, that, that mental thought process of, you know, I I will die trying to beat the guy, uh, you know, racing against me. I mean, how do you manage that in your own training if you don't have somebody like Bill Bowerman to sort of help you trust the process and program the X's and O's for you? Because, I mean, there, there's a lot that you have to balance there. Yeah. And that's a great, great question. In part, I'm going to answer it um, by a, a conversation that's in the page two of the book, The Men of Oregon. So The Men of Oregon is a biography about Bill Bowerman, written by a senior uh, Sports Illustrated writer named Kenny Moore, who happened to be a marathon runner under Bill Bowerman. He was fourth in the 1972 Olympics, went on to be a great writer. So he wrote this book on Bill Bowerman. On page two, Kenny writes about his conversation with Bill at the beginning of a new season. And I think it was his sophomore or junior season. I think it was his sophomore season. And Bill, I could just see the look on his face, you know, kind of like, so tell me, Kenny, what do you think you need to do to become better this next year as an athlete, as a runner? And Kenny, you know, very cocksure, uh, said something to 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 the tune of, well, you know, the guys are increasing the mileage, and I think I need to get my mileage up to 120, 100 to 120 miles a week. Okay, because that's what the, the, these guys are doing. And Bowerman says to him, so you want to increase your mileage, and yet last year with the mileage that you were doing, you were sick and injured a lot. Okay. He said, let me put it to you this way. Do you want to do mindless work or do you want to improve? And what I see in the gym today, honestly, is a lot of mindless work. And some of it's mindless, not being down on the people who are training. They just don't know that if they did a little less and recovered more, that they could get stronger. If that's what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. If the purpose is to go into the gym Mm -hmm. and go until you're depleted. There's some sort of internal mechanism that says I did enough and I want to feel good about myself. That's okay. But if you're really trying to improve and you're trying to do it in a way that is the least amount of work, that was really Bowerman's piece that I took away and I've incorporated. To get to a higher level, what's the least amount of work you can do, not the most? So you get away from the idea that I had for quite a while, which was, I got to train really, really hard today. Matter of fact, I got to train until I can't do anymore. You know why? Because mentally, I believe that everybody is getting ahead of me if I don't do that, which is a fallacy. 
and, and, and that's that's perfect. such a predominant mindset for a lot of people in today's yeah. world, especially with social media. And you know, everybody's all you know they're showing their pictures of hustling and grinding and no days off and no easy day. Yeah, so, and, and and it's hard. That's where I, this work for me is. Yeah, it's physical. I teach people how to move. Uh, you know, that's what I do. A power clean is movement. Mobility is movement. Balancing on one leg is movement. They're all. It's just movement. Okay. Yeah. But the other piece is that this conditioning, this shit in our heads, and I shouldn't say shit, but a teacher of mine said it's bad thinking. Right. And that's what, in part, I was pointed to look at by Bowerman, by my teacher, Ken, who comes later in my life, is that to see that a lot of these assumptions and thoughts that I have about how things should be and how I should be in my body are just not accurate and they're not serving me. So Bill was the first one to kind of say, hey, you know, I'm going to be here to tell you what I think is enough. But later on, and this is what I took, I had to be conscious and I had to be, this is kind of a strange word that's in the world of weightlifting. <laughs> just like, really? He said that? It's like, you have to pay fucking attention. Mm -hmm which is also mean you have to be more sensitive to your body. Mm -hmm. And honest, Janie Moyer was my last pro athlete. Yeah, less, less pro athlete that I worked with. At age 49, he won the, he was the oldest pitcher, starting pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to win a game at age 49. And we were working together still at that time. Wow. And we sat down over coffee and we're chatting, kind of reflecting back on stuff. And he said one of the things that he learned was in the last year or so was that he had to be brutally honest with himself how he felt in his body. And that was my job early on. It said, dude, if you're tired after the last start and you've been lifting weights the day after for the last 15 years, this is a new stage of the ball game. Pay attention to your body and relax and of course that was a fight because everybody like him has strong egos and belief patterns that say well i'm not a quitter right you know what what's the secret to i, I think some people like like jamie it sounds like or, or i'm sure some other folks that you've worked with sort of grasp that more readily than others that that lesson how do you convince some of your athletes or how can our listeners learn to me when, when you talk about that, it reminds me of something that my high school basketball coach told us. And he used to tell us that discretion is the better part of valor. And as a 16, 17, 18 year old male, that is the hardest lesson in the world to learn. And I don't think I fully understood it until I turned 30, but how, how like, and I, and I think back to like how different things could have been, or, or, you know, if I had really fully understood that and, and employed that, implemented that through my 20s. So I'd love to help anybody listening who hasn't learned that lesson yet avoid some of the mistakes that a lot of hard chargers make. How do you get people to make that mental shift? I think you, you, with each person, you have to first determine what do you what do you mr weightlifter athlete what are you trying to accomplish so it's like about what bowerman asked kenny what are you trying to accomplish mm -hmm. are you getting there 
if you don't know where you want to go, it might be useful to figure that out. You know, what's motivating you? What's driving you to do what you're doing? And therefore, it's the sighting of land on the horizon when you're in the boat. That's where I want to go. I'm going to set my sails. I'm going to go in that direction. So once you know that, then you say, well, am I getting there? And if you're, if the weights aren't moving up, if the, whatever the, the metric is that you're trying to improve, if you don't see that going up, and if you're injured on any regular basis whatsoever, I don't mean once a week, but I mean even if like once a quarter you're injured because of your training, right. something's off. Right. And you have to then say, are you willing to let go of your ego? for a moment and just say, it's not about you. It's like kind of goodwill hunting. It's not your fault. It's not your <laughs> fault. It's not your fault. It's like, no, it's not your fault. Do you, are you willing to learn and to grow if that's a part of your internal makeup? And I think everybody is. I think some people are a little bit more staunch believers that they can do it on their own. And Jamie Moore was very much like that. He didn't, he didn't, I had to, I had to step very gingerly into his world and show by way of examples of mm -hmm. things. And then he, he discovered on his own that, wow, I performed better because I didn't do it the way that I've been doing. I didn't hurt as much. I could recover faster. I could, I felt better sooner. Some positivity that came out of that. And if you're not getting it, it's just the individual question is, do you want it? I mean, maybe some people don't want it. That's okay. You know, you want to li live a life of pain and injury and, you know, feeling like you're like the purpose of life is to endure it. That's an option. But uh, just you plant the seed saying, Hey, if you ever get to the point where that may not feel good to you, start paying attention to how you feel. Learn the signals of your body. Your body has a language. You tune into it. And it doesn't take long to know that, yeah, I should have a hard training today, today. But you know what I need to do? I need to go home and get on the couch. And I'm okay with that because I know I'm going to be better tomorrow. And I'm going to be better after that. And I'm going to be better after that. And I'm not going to get injured. And I'm not going to get sick. And so I make a little sacrifice here. It's not even a sacrifice. I make a decision here um, based on what my body's telling me. I'm going to be better for it tomorrow. I think a lot of that sort of can be distilled down to, you know, understanding what, exactly why you're doing it. And like you said, I, I think with athletes, I, I hear a lot of Dan John in, in what you are saying and what you teach. And, and one of his lessons is, you know, if I'm working with an athlete, um, and the discus doesn't go further, then there's something wrong with our training. And that's really, it's, it's very crystal, very crystallized with an athlete. You know, it, are they jumping higher? Are they running faster? Um, so for whatever reason, you guys listening, whatever your reason is for doing your thing, if that thing's not moving forward, something's wrong. And, and like Peter was saying, you know, be brutally honest with yourself and, and be paying very attention, very much, be very aware, you know, be very sensitive to, you know, is that thing moving forward? Is this being enhanced or do I need to make changes? You know, let, let go of the ego, be open to, you know, making course corrections on the fly to make sure that that real goal, the long-term goal 
it, it may not be how much you clean and press. If that has to go down to make the discus go further, then so be it. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely right on. I had a, a point in a, 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 an era um, in, it was one year before the Olympic trials in 76. And my strength was high. I mean, my best power clean was 390. Uh, yeah, I had done 510. I had squatted in two different occasions. I squatted 575 for really, really low, low, perfect Olympic-style squats for a set of five. Um, what else? I did an incline with 425, behind-the-neck push press with 415. You know, I was a strong dude. Those and, are insane numbers. At what body weight? Uh, I was around 250 to 260. Wow. And I realized that the guys who were Alf Durabach was the world record holder then. And uh, he became a, a good friend. And we also trained together and lived together uh, a, a year after that. But I watched him, and his lifts were not near mine. He had a pretty good snatch. He competed in the Olympic lifts. He had a good snatch. I think it was 340, 340-ish. Clean and jerk, maybe just a little over four. At a body weight, he was pretty lean, so 240-ish. Uh, but I noticed that he, he was throwing two, three feet, four feet farther than I was at the time. And he was super loose. He spent a lot of time stretching and doing mobility exercises. And I watched and I said, you know, I don't think uh, – you know, a 520 bench is going to get this shot put going any farther. I mean, that's the reality. I don't, if I can put more energy into lifting. So I trained, I trained myself how to do my version of yoga and it paid off. My body got looser. It got more pliable. My mind kind of followed, got looser. So that was a discovery that like, I'm going to this, you know, I'm going to this shoreline and I'm pointing and saying, well, I want to go there. Yep. And I'm going, I keep drifting off to the left. Like, what the hell is going on? Right. Is it, okay, dude, it's not more strength. It's you got to use what you have. You're not using, you know, you're not using 20% of the strength you already have. Why are you, you know, doing that? So that was a course correction, and it was one that really paid off. How that happened, um, I'm not exactly sure. I was reading the inner game of tennis at the same time, so I think Timothy Galway had something to do with that, like paying attention to my body. But that's where it was. I just felt like I was just getting, you know, yeah, I was big, and then, you know, I had a good physique and arms and all that, but it's like, dude, the shot's not going farther. Right. Is it yeah. the shot going farther or is it something else? Right. I mean, at that point, the, the strength wasn't the limitation for you. you. You needed to figure out a way to tap into more of that capacity. I mean, absolute strength is, is the ceiling of what we can do. But if you're not anywhere near that, then look for ways to close that gap. And, and you did. You looked at somebody who was having more success than you and you figured out what they were doing that you weren't, that you could incorporate in and close the gap. So I, I love that approach. It sounds like you've had some tremendous mentors in your life. Talk about some of the lessons that you've learned from some of your other mentors, um, whether it be competition or, or long-term health or uh, some of the energy stuff. I know you're, you, you've been big into uh, Qigong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, boy, this has been so many. Um, I've been very, very gifted uh, that along the way, certain people just kind of popped into my life. Um, well, I'll speak about somebody who's not in my book. Don Cundy 
was the world record holder in the deadlift in super heavyweight class in the time when I was in college. He, saw, he happened to be a PhD program at the University of Oregon and was training at the YMCA. He's, you know, five, six, seven years older than me. His best deadlift was the world record at that time at 821. 821 pounds, and this is 70, 1970, 71. So he sees me lifting. He says, hey, you want to work with me? You want to train with me? And he saw, he saw that, you know, that I was not fooling around. He said, do you want to lift with me? So I did. I lifted with him in his last year of competition. Um, and I saw him one day, just as for the guys who are in the lifting. So we did deadlifts off of, the, off of our toes. So we would stand on blocks so that the, if our – foot was here the bar was right on top of our feet so we're not mm -hmm. pulling from mid shin he right. pulled uh he pulled 770 off of his top of his feet so uh, we would call that a deficit deadlift today yeah so you, you have, a, you have a, a greater a, greater range of motion than a normal deadlift it was a yeah and it was uh i just followed along i did whatever yeah. he, he did he did partials and mm -hmm. he did he did those we rarely did the deadlift but he would he would he was not maniacal he was he would listen to his body. He would train hard. He would rest. He would try to move the weight up. Furibank was always saying, "I got to move the weight up. I got to move the shot out. I got to I got to throw a little further. I got to lift a little bit more." So it was always the attentiveness to, "Am I getting the results I wanted?" And Don was was you know had one thing he would say to me. He said he called me Petey Petey Beady. He said Petey Beady, light as a feather. Now, on that same day he did 770, I kind of drafted behind him, and I, I pulled 570, 200 pounds less. <laughs> but he was saying, come on, PDB, light as a feather. So it was this mindset that this was going to be easier than I thought it was. So that was, he was very influent, influential. Um, I think one of the greatest influences was after my career, a guy named Ken Russell, who was very much – uh, he's not a Buddhist teacher. He's not a spiritual teacher. He is no longer alive today either. But I worked with him for over ten years. But he was—he taught me how to meditate uh, almost twenty-five years ago, and really get even more connected than I already was with what was going on in my body on, on various levels. So um, I, I certainly could have used him before that point in time. But that was the importance of learning about your mind and learning about the thoughts in your in your head. And I had kind of tapped in that when I read Timothy Galway's book about, you know, I used to be so down on myself. Man, I would, I would rage if I didn't get the results I wanted in practice. When I was in college, coaches would scatter, and they would, they would just leave me alone until I calmed down. And um, what I learned about is that I had to uh, – <laughs> I had to control that initially, which I did through Timothy Galloway's book. And then I had to kind of get to the source later on, which is a whole different topic. But it was basically him bringing me back to this is who you are. This is what uh, is going on in your head. You know, and a lot of those thoughts you have about yourself are just not true. Um, and I, that was that was valuable. And I think that that from an athletic or an athlete standpoint, it's learning about yourself from the standpoint of your thinking, your tendencies, we all have a tendency, and that you become aware of them, and all of a sudden, like you're watching them on a screen, and they're not so personal to you, like, I miss that lift, what a piece of shit I am, or, you know, about anything negative, and pretty soon, they're like clouds in the sky, and you just don't go there, um, and that was really, really a 
big part of kind of <laughs> really learning how to enjoy my life a lot more, whether I was in my body or not. So a really big influence um, in my life of learning how to pay, just, you know, how to pay attention to, to yourself, what your body's saying, what your mind's doing. That's, that's a really powerful lesson. And, and it reminds me, we, we had a guest on the show a little over a year ago, Bill Harris, who was the creator of Holosync. And he talks about how awareness creates choice. And, and I'm kind of replaying that and, and seeing that in, in exactly what you're just saying. So that's really powerful. What advice would you give our listeners on how to seek out or, or find a mentor? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think the first part is you have to be open to it. You have to be open. I was talking to a, a trainer at the local uh, facility where I'm working with my people, and he wrote a book on you know, lifting, squatting, and he's a CrossFit guy. He was. He had his own, he had his own gym as well. And he talks about you know, technique and, and, and teaching uh, other CrossFit instructors and, and people. About and he said, I, I'm so amazed how often I run into people that just don't want to learn. They're just not interested in, you know, the right technique and how, how to get better through not doing heavy lifting, trying to see how much you can do every single day. So I think there's a group of people that aren't open to it, uh, maybe right now, maybe in a few years they will be. But I think, you know, it's like I don't know everything and I want to learn. And there are teachers out there that I think if you're open to that, you will, you will find. And I used to use teachers from all walks of life. I mean, some of the people that I was taught by uh, having a hard time were not, you know, athletes by the, the, by the sense of being, a, a, you know, a top-notch athlete. Sometimes they were people like Gao Li. Gao Li was a dancer from Beijing who was in Seattle, and he taught me Tai Chi and Qigong. And that there's an amazing amount that you can carry from that into doing a power clean or a clean and press or snatch. You would be surprised mm -hmm. at the sort of grace and ease and the, the opposition of energy forces within the movement. So it's like, here's a guy who doesn't know anything about lifting, but he's like totally influencing the way that I look at it. And so I was just interested. I said, God, this guy's an interesting guy. I know nothing about this. I want to tap in. So be open yeah. Tap that, in. If it's not working for you, move on and look at everything that has to do with either your body and or your mind. Don't it's not all just about you know the training. Should I do five sets of five today or should I do, you know, a pyramid of five, four, three, two, one, or should I do you know things like that? I think that there are the components about learning uh, about the body and how to let it recover. Um, that are equally as important that may not be directly into yeah, how do I lift more? It, it is. It, it's a mindset. You you have to. Somebody told me when I was really young that everybody you encounter can teach you something, and if you enter every situation that way, looking for something, then then you can always glean some sort of information or or thing from that. But uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's if you're not open to it, you have zero chance. And there, I don't think in my, and I've talked to other teachers about this, sometimes it's pretty hard to find a, a, somebody who really wants to learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's really open that really wants to hang out. Uh, I can re still remember, uh, impressively so, a young man who's been training 20, 
three years or so, came up to me before he started training, was watching me, came up to me and said, hey, man, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn what you're doing. <laughs> he was just curious. Right. And, you know, you, you, you being in the, in the business yourself, that doesn't happen all that often. But no. somebody says, I just want to come and hang out with you. Just, just, just show me. But, and, and, you know, I used to have, to that point, interesting story when I was a strength and conditioning coach for the Seattle Mariners late at night, uh, Carlton Fisk would come in and he and I were exactly the same age. So he was 37 at that time. I was 37 at the time. And after an evening of, of, uh, he wasn't catching at that particular time, but he was DH. He'd come in and he'd squat at 11, 1130 at night. And he, we'd have these chats. We get along great. Um, and he said, you know, I, the thing that's so amazing, I felt like I've hit 37 home runs this year, and I've had this long career of like 20 years and being successful. And, and he said, it's rare that a player comes up to me and wants to pick my brain. He said, I just I find that just intriguing. It's, it's probably no coincidence that he had a long and successful career and also had that mindset of, you know, being a, a lifetime learner. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really was something to talk to him about that. You know, Edgar Martinez is the same way. You know, a lifetime lawyer. He just had his number retired by the Seattle Mariners last week, and hopefully, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. We worked together for eleven years, and he was always looking to change. He was always looking like, how do I get better? How can I learn from people? How can I, how can I, you know, increase my, in, improve my diet? So those those people really had great success, and they were very open. You know, I was going to ask you, you know, with all the athletes you've seen, what's, what's the common denominator between all of the most successful ones? Would you say that's it, that, that mindset uh, of always being uh, looking for that, that thing, like that, that nugget or trying to learn at all times? I think a high percentage of those people are, not always. Junior, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., I mean, he was in terms of hitting a little bit, but he wasn't that open to it. He just knew how to swing a bat and play the game really, really well. He, he had so a swing a, you can't teach. No. Yeah, he, he did. And he, so he's a, he's a one-off. I think there's two things. I think one is that you have to be consistent at knowing what your intention is for doing what you do. So you, you start with an intention, you add action to that. And then there is the consistency to which Edgar is an example that whether you hit five home runs in a night or whether you were 0 for 20 at that point of the season, you go to the ballpark, you stretch, you hit off the tee, you lift weights after the game, you, you're consistent at doing what you need to do. And I think the last piece is just the ability to shift as you get older. You know, we're always changing. We're changing. We're different tomorrow than we will be today, 10 years. We have to just accept that. Not that we're getting old and we should just stop, but, okay, I've got to shift my training now. I have to shift it again, and I have to shift it again, and I have to shift my attitude. So I'm not going, oh, shit, I'm getting older. You know, this sucks. I can't. No, yeah, we're getting older. That's the way it is. What can I do about it? Okay, let's, let's lower the bar. 10 pounds. And I think the, the intention, the consistency, and the attitude to shift um, are all of those. So it's like, they're almost like counted, like consistency, but willing to shift, 
to really be where they are in that moment versus the last moment. And that's very much of the human mind. That's, you know, like, okay, this moment, where were you yesterday? Oh, I was, I was, I had four home runs. Yeah, forget about that. Where are you today? Right. Today. Yeah. Now, you are a, a big surfer. Have you always been a surfer? D- does that sort of predate all of your, your other athletic things? Well, it, it does. Unfortunately, um, uh, you, you're gracing me with the word. <laughs> I, I, I have, I have my, my heart is around surfing. There's a problem with being in Seattle. <laughs> well, I, and you can, you can, ex- yeah, you can explain that to folks, but I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, if, if that affinity for surfing and that experience with surfing predates your athletic career, then it certainly has some influence into the way yes. you approached sports and, and performance. You're, you're absolutely right. The first thing um, is that I used to love sitting on my board in the water, not even catching waves, just being in the element. I thought that was very, um, it was, it's hard to describe a word. It was energizing. It was healing. It was, you know, I was lifting weights back then, so it helped me to, to be loose, uh, certainly. But there was something else at a different level. I thought it was very, um, you know, kind of connected to something deeper. That was number one. The other thing is surfing is really unique because there is the element of the water, the wave, the speed of the wave, the direction of the wave, the steepness of the wave, the crest of the wave, the trough of the wave, the board you're using and all of that. You can't force your will mm-hmm. on that wave. Mm-hmm. You, at every moment, you have to, without thinking, and this is the hard part because best performance has come out of no, no thought, is you have to adapt. You're adapting, you're adapting, you're adapting, you're paddling, you know, you're getting up. All of a sudden, you got a closeout that's closing out on you. You can't cut. So you adapt, and then you adapt, and you adapt. So I think the power of surfing to me was, in a deeper level, was this idea that um, I'm not in control. I like to think I'm in control (laughs) of a lot of my life, but I'm not. But what I can do is adapt. And to adapt, I need to be as quiet in my mind as possible because I can just react. And as I practice, I get better at learning how to react. And to be kind of, a, a, a kind of fluid like the wave. If we, could, if we could surf our life like you surf a wave and be adaptable, be fluid, you know, not the water coming down the stream that hits the rock and is determined to go over the top of it or push it away. It just goes around it. So that mindset to me has always been valuable. I didn't always live by it, and I don't always live by it. But it is that sort of fluidness of going through life and just adapting, just adapting. Just adapt over here, adapt over here. No problem, just adapt. And I think that's one of the great powers of surfing. I mean, in listening to that answer, that that pretty much – sums up sort of the the overarching theme in life athlete you know it it does it's it's not to mean that by buying into some of these concepts which i had initially to do meant that you weren't a weenie you weren't a pussy you whatever derogatory name you wanted to that you're not less 
but it's actually the development of wisdom. And it's the wisdom that then can take you through the rest of your life. So it's a shift in, in how you perceive your reaction to certain things. And instead of pushing against the, the, the weight harder that you just missed 10 times, it's just pack up your things and go home. And, and with a smile on your face and say, tomorrow's another day, I guess I'm not ready for it today. And that sort of fluid approach is, is very much uh, about being the life athlete as a sustainable model. It's like, if you like doing power cleans, join me in another 12 years if I'm here, and I'll be doing, you know, power clean maxing out at, you know, 25 pounds. But I'm doing a power clean, which <laughs> I love. You know? Yeah. It so, ain't 390 anymore. But yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm a huge fan of power cleans, and I would love to be doing them in my 60s. So, what have you uh, what have you changed about the way you perform those to continue to do them? Um, I don't do them year round. I do everything in kind of cycles. I mean, life athlete is somewhat predicated, if not a lot predicated on kind of a seasonal bias. I'm riding my bike a lot right now. I'm running strides a lot. I'm, I'm run walking trails. I'm not lifting a lot right now. In fall, I will. I'll come back into doing some deadlifts and some power cleans. So that's one. It gives it, it, gives it a freshness mm -hmm. to it as opposed to doing the same thing quarter to quarter to quarter to quarter. Mm -hmm. um, I love the fluid. I like, I like trying to make a power clean like surfing. I like to make it try to look as though if you were looking at me, judging me, uh, you know, like I'm going to give you points for making it look easy. Even right. if it's just the bar, I want to try to make it look easy because I think that's fun. And um, I go up and I, you know, test myself a little bit every now and then. I rarely train. And I kind of did this at 26. I rarely train more than 85% effort. It is the, the need to go more than that is really unnecessary almost at any level of training. It's, you just don't need it. You can move the 200-pound power clean to two and a quarter by just training, you know, at an 85% level and continuing to let the, the, the body restore. So I'm, I'm more attuned to that than probably ever before. But I just love the feeling of the movement in general. I just love the, the, the power and the fluidity of it. If you could only do one exercise for the rest of your life, one movement in the weight room, would it be a power clean? I think it would either be a, a power clean into a push press, um, what's noted as, I didn't even know there a name for these things, so like they call them thrusters, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, we did those a long time ago and there was no name for them, but I, they're called thrusters now. Um, or a single, a single arm uh, snatch or, or a single arm um, you know, kind of like a, a power snatch almost, mm -hmm. something like that. Something that's very full body, something that's either two single arm, uh, double arm, uh, bilateral, whatever. Um, yeah, something like that, you know, go four sets of five, start slow and, and go easy. I, I think the other, the other piece, let me just throw this in. I watch guys all the time in the gym here at all sorts of ages, doesn't matter. Nobody warms up. The idea of a warm-up is just, you know, they come in with a tank top on and shorts, 
or or their their uh, their stretch. Um, what are they half? Their compression know. pants now. Yeah. And then you know, there's no warm up. And you know, first of all, they don't they don't layer their clothing like like you know all Olympians, all highest level, all the the U.S. Olympic team that I used to train with, you know, had tons of levels of number one, and they would do multiple sets with the bar only. And it's like everybody at the gym thinks like, why should I do that? If you watch Mohammed Ehab, the the Egyptian guy who's a phenomenal athlete, that you know, what's he, sixty nine kilo class, you know, clean and jerk four, four oh two, something like that. He does ridiculous amounts of sets with a bar. Right. I mean, incredible. So that's that's something else that I aspire to is doing more warm up sets. So I, I'm sorry, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter, if if our listeners want more of you, where should they go? Well, uh, lifeathlete.com. Uh, you're happy to email me if you have any questions or thoughts or anything. It's uh, peter at lifeathlete.com. Um, I do a podcast, um, which we're going to do. Uh, we are doing one, but we're going to do another. And that is um, Life Athlete. Uh, that's on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you know, the usual spots. Uh, please listen to that. And please listen to this one, by the way, <laughs> Natural Stacks. Subscribe. <laughs> yes. yes. Subscribe rate. Um, Ryan's doing a great job, so do that for Ryan and the boys at Natural Stacks. Um, that's about it. Uh, I'm going to have more and more stuff on YouTube uh, being done. but uh, And then my book, The Way of the Life Athlete, if you want to hear more about the stories and whatnot, that's on my website, uh, lifeathlete.com. All right. So speaking of the way of the life athlete, can we give away a copy? Oh, but of course. Okay. So let's do this for you guys listening. All you have to do to be entered to win is share this podcast on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever platform you prefer, share this episode and tag us. Uh, you can tag at natural stacks, tag at Ryan Muncie, uh, use an underscore if it's on Instagram for me, uh, Peter, what are your handles on those platforms? Oh like, man, you're asking me tough questions. Uh, are, you, are you on Are you on Twitter or Facebook? What do you? Yeah, which one do you yeah. Tw- Twitter, uh, uh, Life Athlete is is Facebook. Life Athlete Way uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm going to fail at that one. All okay, right. probably so, Life Athlete. So don't, don't worry about tagging Peter if you guys share it on Instagram. Just tag me or Natural Stacks so that we know you shared it. If you do it on Twitter, uh, it's at Life Athlete Way. We'll have links to all of these on the show notes for this episode. That'll be at naturalstacks.com if you need to go grab those. But all you have to do is share this episode. We'll pick a winner and we'll get Peter to maybe autograph a copy and send it to you. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Give, me, Beautiful. Give, me, give me your name. When it's sign it, get it to you. Yep. There you go. Um, all right, Peter, if you listen to the show, you know, what's coming. The last question, we want to know your top three tips to live optimal, live optimal, you know, uh, learn that every day you get up, that it is good to be alive and to be grateful for that. 
And I think that that deepens over time and it deepens with certain circumstances that, that be grateful for what you have. And the fact that I have always said this body of ours is a miracle. Uh, treat it with that sort of respect and be grateful for every day that you have it. Um, learn to enjoy your life, not only the work, but the rest. Learn to be okay with recovery, be okay with chilling out, be okay with the non-doing as much as you are doing in the doing. And I think the last piece is keep yourself in touch with a community that strives to grow and, and to improve the quality of their lives. Um, there's a, a lot of people that are interested in it. There's a lot of people that aren't. So that community, I think, has power. I was fortunate to have those communities at Oregon, University of Oregon, with Prefontaine as my teammate, with Al Fuhrbach in San Jose, with Don Cundy, with all of these communities that helped bring me along. And uh, those are my three. Gratitude, um, hang out with the right people that can you can draft behind times when you can't lead. Um, and uh, what was the second one? Be okay with, with your body and where it is. If it needs to rest, rest it. If it needs to work, work it. Take care of it. That is beautiful. Uh, I got goosebumps listening to that. Um, Peter, thanks for hanging out with us today. Absolutely, and, uh, man. This, this has been a blast. I, I can't wait to, uh, to talk to you again on your show. So if you guys listening to this one want to hear Peter and I talk again, he's going to drill me with some questions oh, on man, the ready. Life Athlete Podcast. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and uh, please go to iTunes, uh, like Peter plugged for us, and give us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. When we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with a little care package as a thank you. And share this episode, share the OPP in general with the people in your life who you know will benefit from what we're talking about. Exactly what Peter said, the people who are interested in learning that community that you want to be a part of, this is how we help grow it and build it and uh, make the world the, the place that we want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Good words. Peter, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Great, Ryan. My pleasure. Take care, everybody. You're all life athletes. Bye.